So today, if it's your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. We are continuing our series that we're calling Level Up. Now, this ter- my mom texted me the other week. She goes, what does Level Up mean? Level Up is a term that originated in the video game community. I did not know that, but I only knew it from the Ciara song. But it originated in the video game community, hence the graphics. But recently, this term has kind of gone mainstream. Um, and it sort of means like taking control of your life back. Leveling up is about kind of changing the way that you think. It's a shift in our mindset so that you can become a better version of ourselves. Now, why are we talking about leveling up? Just before Christmas, and Adam talked about this last week, Gallup released a brand new poll that reported that mental health in America is at like an all-time low. And it's a fascinating report. You can Google it and read it for yourself. But the the TLDR, the too long didn't read, says that 31% of Americans now describe their mental health as being excellent. That is the lowest in two decades. It goes on to say that more than one quarter of American adults are now seeking help from counselors, therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And it's, while it's great that people are getting the help they need, it's a shame that number is so high. Now, 31%, you hear that and you go, all right, it's low, but how low is that? It really doesn't mean much to me. Well, just prior to COVID in 2019, when this question was asked, 45% of Americans rated their mental health as being excellent. You go back to when the question was first asked in 2004, and 51%, over half of Americans go, yeah, things are great up here. My, everything is excellent in terms of my mental health. So that's like a 20-point drop in almost 20 years. What's the cause? Just turn on the news, right? I mean, turn on the, go back one slide for them. Turn on the news. Um, there's lingering COVID effects. There's inflation. There's, you know, job issues. There's wars and rumors of wars. You've got egg shortage now, which is a nightmare. You, right? My gosh, you can't go to Costco. They're limiting two eggs. Anyway, you can't get children's Tylenol. Amazon Prime now takes forever. And so it's very easy to get sucked into the negativity and then the fear and the anxiety. Now, whatever the cause might be, I think we can agree that the declining trend in mental health is concerning. I mean, Gallup poll aside, if you had never known that, I think we can all agree that we kind of feel this. You know, there's a, there's a, a tension in this country. That a lot of us are struggling with finances or in our personal life or with our careers or our health or like whatever. And if we can just be honest with ourselves, and we try to be honest here at DHC, a lot of us are not in a good place. We're just not. And the truth is, God does not want us to live that way. In fact, Jesus Christ himself said that I have come so they may have life, and I want them to have it in the fullest possible way. And I think you want that too. I mean, I know I do, but we got to do our part. We got to do our part to kind of grab on to these promises of God. And so what we're doing in this series over the next couple of weeks is we're taking a look at a couple of areas in our life that we need to level up in, all right? We're going to look at behaviors and attitudes and mindsets that I would argue are negatively impacting our mental health. Then we're going to find out what scripture has to say about being more positive or having a more godly outlook. So Adam, as he said last week, talked about complaining and how sort of the cure for that is gratitude. Today, what I want to talk about is optimism. 
Because I would argue that optimism is in steep decline in this country, and I also think it's in steep decline in the local church. Now, before we talk about what optimism is, I want to talk about what optimism is not. I think that's important to do. So optimism, number one, is not the denial of reality. I once had a boss who would famously say, it's going to be great. Okay, that's, that was his line. It's going to be great, right? The, it didn't matter what he was pitching, what he was selling you on. It was always like, it's going to be great, just like that. Now, if there were a narrator in that room with us, that narrator would go, it was not going to be great. <laughs> You've been there. Okay, so optimism is not acting like things are going to be great when you know they ain't going to be great. Right? It's not putting our heads in the sand. It's not having a positive attitude. No matter what, that is not what optimism is. Furthermore, optimism is not blind faith. It's not sort of naive, wishful thinking that everything's going to be okay if we just sit back and do nothing. That is not optimism. So what is optimism? Well, I cracked open the old Oxford Dictionary, meaning I Googled it, and they told me that optimism is confidence about the future or a successful, ooh, successful outcome. Yikes. hi Anyway. <laughs> It's believing that something good is happening, okay? It's, that's like a textbook definition. Now, I want to add a little bit of spiritual flair to this, some kind of spiritual weight. So for Christians, and many of you are Christians in this room, for Christians, optimism is the unwavering expectation that God is at work in every situation for our future good. Optimism is that deep assurance down in our souls and in our heart that God is involved in our lives that he is involved in every situation, that he is in control even when things seem like way out of control. That's spiritual optimism. Now, where do we get this definition from? Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, uh, wrote one of his most famous lines and, and effectively says the same thing in Romans 8.28. And we know, look at that confidence, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now, in the original Greek, when he wrote sort of all things, what he meant was all things, everything. So all things could refer to your unreasonable boss. All things could be that financial setback that you're having right now. All things could be that court case that you're stuck in. It, it could be the struggle that you're having with an ex. It could be the trouble that you're having with your kids. It could be that painful breakup that you're going through right now. Paul says, in all things, our God is working on our behalf. In other words, if you have said yes to Jesus, if he is your Lord and Savior, then even a negative situation has the potential to produce something good. This means that no matter what is going on in your life, you can be incredibly optimistic that God is in control and working on your behalf for your future good. So that's our working definition, shall we say, of spiritual optimism. I want to I do a little exercise with you guys to kind of prime the pump and get us ready for this talk for today. So let me, let me ask you this. How would you describe your inner monologue? How do you talk to yourself? What words do you use to sort of describe your life or the things that happen to you? How do you think about the future? What words do you use to describe how you see the future unfolding? Just take a second, take a quick inventory of your thought life. Now, 
if your thoughts are consumed with negativity and fear and worry and anxiety, that's a problem. And the reason it's a problem is because Scripture and science both say, and when they're saying the same thing, you really got to listen. They say that what consumes your mind tends to control your life. In other words, the life that you currently have is generally a reflection of the thoughts that you think. And scripture backs this up. Solomon, who is the wisest man who ever lived, according to Scripture, said, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. That is, your life is generally moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And so if you're the kind of person who thinks that everyone's out to get you, the sky is falling, the economy is going to crash any day now, people are going to be wearing masks forever, chances are you're not getting into bed at night thinking, gosh, what a great day. That was, I feel wonderful. Okay? Why? Because the quality of your life will never exceed the quality of your thoughts. This is the problem with pessimism. Pessimists are those folks who consistently have a negative outlook or a negative attitude. All right? Some of you know pessimists. You might live with a pessimist. Maybe you're married to one, okay? Maybe you are one. Now, according to those same experts, pessimists tend to view negative events as both personal and permanent, right? It's personal. It's my fault that this is happening to me. I'm bad. I'm no good. I'm not worthy, right? It's personal. Or they see events as being permanent. It's always going to be this way. I'm never going to have a good life. I'm always going to be struggling. The economy is always going to be bad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And pretty soon, you find yourself living a victim mentality, and your life will never exceed the quality of your thoughts. Here's what we have to recognize. Being content, being satisfied, being optimistic isn't a state of affairs. It is a state of mind. Optimism has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with how you think about your circumstances. So, do your thoughts typically lean towards faith and God and his power and his purpose in your life? Or do they tend to lead negative? Now, believe it or not, I am generally a positive person. I am. I really do believe that God is at work in my life and, and in the world. But when it comes to health issues, and I've told you this before, I lean negative. I have health anxiety, diagnosed, okay? According to doctors, I am perfectly healthy. According to my thought life, I could go at any moment. Now, if just before service, I go, you think this is cancer? Take a look at this. So if, if you're like me and you lean negative in all of your life or some aspect of your life, you know, what you're gonna wanna do is what I try to do, and that is you're gonna wanna try to feed your faith and starve your fears. This is where we're going to be the rest of the day. Why? Because what you feed tends to grow. What you starve tends to die. So for me, I want to try to starve those voices that are trying to rob me of potential joy, and I want to feed those things that are going to help my faith grow. Now, how you starve your fears is going to look different for you because we all got different things going on in your life. Maybe for you, it's turning off the news, right? Or limiting your access to it. For me, not Googling symptoms, even though I still do it, okay? You're going to want to starve your fears. But you don't want to just starve your fears. you got to feed your faith as well. One of the best ways to simultaneously starve your fears and feed your faith 
is to read the Bible, to meditate on God's word. Now, here's the key. The point isn't just to read through it, okay? The point is to get into Scripture so that Scripture gets into you, so that it penetrates your heart, so that it starves your fears, so that it feeds your faith. Over the last year, we've talked a ton about reading the Bible, daily if possible, right? So what I want to do for the remainder of our time is I want to show you real time how to read the Bible, how to open up God's Word, and just meditate on it so that it changes your heart and renews your mind and feeds your faith and starves your fears. So I figured let's just start with Romans 8, 28, the verse of the day, right? It talks about the power of God in our life. Now, here's the thing with this verse. Paul didn't write this in a vacuum, okay? He didn't just sit down one day at his desk, bang this one out, call it, that's great, and leave. This is part of a larger letter. Romans is 14 chapters, I think. Don't quote me on that, okay? Now, when you meditate on God's word, it is best to read the verse in the context in which it was written. So we're not going to read all Romans today, but I do want to go through just chapter 8. And what you're going to see is that you actually have many reasons to be very optimistic. So let's start at the beginning to see what God has for us. Paul writes in the beginning of this particular chapter. So, now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That'll shift the way that you think. For so many of us, we can't let go of the past. We allow our past sins and failures and mistakes and regrets to define us. What Paul is saying here is because of Jesus, you're a new person. Who you were is not who you are. Everything you've done because of what Christ did on that cross and in that tomb has been forgiven. You've been given a new life. You've been given a clean start. God has forgiven you. It's time to forgive yourself. That'll starve your fears. That'll feed your faith. And so we keep reading. And you know, verse 6 jumps out at us. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. This is what we've been saying. What controls your mind controls your life. So what controls your mind? I mean, if you did an inventory of your thoughts and didn't like what you found, maybe what you need to do in order to level up is ask God's spirit to renew your mind, to help you think good thoughts about God and his power and his purpose. And you feed your faith and you starve your fears. We continue reading. Verse 18 touches our hearts. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Just read that. And let that read you. Let that wash over you. Let that penetrate your heart. All of our present sufferings and hardships, all of these things that we hate, that we endure, that are just so painful, Paul says, cannot be compared to the shining greatness, another translation puts it, that God is going to give us. Now you hear this and you read this and you might pause and wonder, well, what does Paul know about suffering? How did Paul suffer? I mean, this is all well and good and you crochet that on a pillow and it's wonderful, but like, here's the deal. I'm suffering badly. 
Does Paul have any idea what that is really like? Now, luckily for us, Paul tells us. He says, you know, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped three times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned with rocks. Three times, I was shipwrecked. And this is the guy who says, our present sufferings are not worth comparing to God's glory that he's going to give to us. Here's why this is so important. Paul acknowledges his hurt, okay? He acknowledges his suffering. He doesn't stick his head in the sand. He doesn't pretend like it's not happening to him. But because of his faith in a good God, he puts a limit to the, oh, woe's me. He puts a limit on the negativity. He puts a limit on the pessimism. And he says, I'm not going to let this take over my life because my life is bigger than my sufferings. So let me ask you, where are you hurting right now? What have you lost? Where are you experiencing hardships? Is it a loss of a job? Is it a health concern? Some of you are battling cancer, depression, anxiety, addiction. Some of you have struggling marriages, financial concerns. Whatever your present sufferings are, Paul would say, do not pretend like they're not happening. Acknowledge them. Look at them square in the eye and then know that you can have an unwavering expectation that God can and will use this situation for your future good. And you're going to let that Feed your faith and starve your fears. And so we keep reading. And we get to Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us where we are weak. I need this. This is good news for me. It's probably good news for you too. Because many times, isn't it true, we just feel incredibly incapable. You feel overwhelmed unsure of yourself, you don't know what to do next, you, you feel lost at work, you feel lost at home, you don't know which way is up, but Paul is saying the Holy Spirit is there inside of you to help you. He then goes on to tell us specifically one example of how the Holy Spirit helps you, and it's awesome. He says, you know, we do not know how to pray or what we should pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays to God for us with sounds, that cannot be put into words. Game changer. If you want proof that God is working on your behalf, look no further. God has placed his spirit inside of you so that he can pray for you because you don't know how to pray sometimes. Isn't that true? I mean, sometimes life gets so overwhelming, it's like, God, I don't even know what's going on right now. I, I, don't, I, don't, even know where, I don't even know where to start. And the Holy Spirit says, I got you. I got you. God wants to help you. Now, people will say all the time, and maybe you've said this yourself, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Except God never said that. You're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible. The Bible actually says God helps those who need help. Thank God. He helps those who are weak and broken. He helps those who cry out to him. So if you are hurting right now, who is God? He's your comfort. If you're confused, he's your guide. 
If you're discouraged, he's your hope. If you're anxious, he is your peace. If you are weak, he is your strength. And so we feed our faith and we starve our fears. Then we finally get to the verse of the day. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I just let that sink in. In all things. In all things. In, in the good things and in the bad things. In the days that I love and in the days that I endure. When the doctor calls and says, it's all good. And when the doctor calls and says, it's not good. When you get that promotion and when you get laid off, in all things, in all things, in all things, God works for your good. You may not see him. You may not understand how he could possibly ever use this situation for your good, but God promises, he promises, he will never leave you, he is always with you, and that he is always for you. Now this verse, I'll admit, makes some big claims about God. And if you're a pessimist, you're going to find this challenging. Because you tend to live by thinking, you know, if you want to be happy, just lower your expectations, right? Don't expect anything good, and you'll never be disappointed. Believe only bad things are going to happen, so when those bad things happen, you're not That's pessimism. That is not how God has called his children to live. If you are a Christian, and I know many of you are, don't lower your expectations. Raise them. Why? Well, because Paul says that God is able to do far more. Other translations say immeasurably more than we could ever ask for or imagine. He does everything by his power that is working in us. Now, that is optimism. That does not sound like lowering your expectation. That sounds like you can confidently believe that God is working in your life. That sounds like you should pray for God to work in unimaginable ways. That sounds like when you pray and say amen, you should believe that God listens and works. We're going to feed our faith. We want to starve our fears. I want to read you one last verse before we wrap up for today because it's a great one. Romans 8.38 And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, watch this, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Let that sink in. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. And so I close the Bible, and I walk away knowing that no matter where I go, my God is there. No matter what I do, my God loves me. No matter what happens to me, my God is for me. And that is why I and you can have an unwavering expectation that our loving God is working in every single situation for our future good. So the world may be in turmoil, and the economy might be bad, and inflation might be crazy, and you might have your own personal problems that you're going through right now. But we have a bigger God through whom all things are possible. So rather than being consumed by fear and anxiety and negativity, I'm going to choose to be optimistic and believe that God is 
at work in this world and at work in my life. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So how do we level up, right? How do we make a change for the better? Well, the first thing that I would love for you guys to focus on this week is that inner monologue that we've been talking about. Because so often our thoughts are on autopilot. And our mental health, and our physical health for that matter, pay dearly for it. And so for the next week, just really try to pay attention to your thoughts. Pay attention to what you say to yourself. And if you don't like what you hear, how are you going to change the script? Some of us might only need some minor tweaks, right? Others of us, we might need a complete overhaul, like a lobotomy, all right? But like whatever the case may be, wherever you are on that spectrum, do not forget to invite the Holy Spirit into the process. He is there specifically to renew your mind, to renew your thoughts. Ask God to help change the way that you think, and that will change the way that you feel. Secondly, I'm going to keep pushing this. Get into the Bible. Today you saw a number of reasons as to why you can be optimistic, but the truth is, if you didn't read the Bible, you'd never know those things. You can't just discern those things, okay? So if you want to start reading the Bible, and you don't even know where to start, that's fine. There's actually a great reading plan that I would suggest. It's called the Bible Recap. Take a picture of that if you want. What you want to do is just download the Bible app. I think it's called the YouVersion Bible. You're going to see a thing called Plans, and you just search Bible Recap. It's fantastic. There's also a daily podcast that goes with it, eight or nine minutes. People love that. It's really, really great. Now, lastly, as we close out the week on optimism, I would challenge you guys to pray expectantly. When you go to a restaurant and you order a salad, you're not surprised when a salad comes out because that's what you ordered. But so many times when we pray and we say amen, we think, mm, God's never going to answer this. That is not how Jesus told us to pray. Pray with optimism, knowing that God listens and answers and works on your behalf. And don't be surprised when you get what you ask for. And sometimes God will bless you beyond your wildest dreams. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the promise of Romans 8.28. Lord, it is one of the most profound promises given to a Christian that once we say yes to you, nothing in our life is a mistake anymore. There's no more chaos. You have taken control. And even when things come out of control, Lord, we know by that promise that you have a plan, that you are working everything together for our good. But Lord, here's the thing. Sometimes when we're in the midst of a storm, that wonderful promise can actually be a little bit painful because we don't know how you could ever turn this thing into good. But I pray that today, Lord, we would know. I pray that today, Lord, for folks who are currently suffering, that your promises would be a balm in their life, 
that they would know that you are in control, that you have promised to never leave them or forsake them, that you are always for them. And there's nothing that they can do to make you love them less. And there's nothing that you can do to make them love you more. God, And I just pray that you would be with us. And Lord, we give you thanks for the gift of salvation offered freely to us from your son, Jesus. We look to you for peace. We look to you for comfort, strength, guidance, God. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for being with us. Help us, God, to see the world differently. In Jesus' name we pray.